some fast food, fasting food. No. <laughs> I'm hoping to finish out tonight our, uh, our study on fasting, at least to finish before the, the bonds move. Uh, so we have a month. No, hopefully we finish tonight. Um, and I wanted to finish tonight by putting together what we have already studied with some final new concepts that we haven't looked at yet. And to begin, I want us to consider a couple of def uh, broad definitions, one broader and one narrower, but both fairly broad definitions of fasting. Uh, the first one is more inclusive, and this is uh, uh, given to us by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a, the great preacher in England in the mid-20th no, mid century, preached through World War II. There's an, even an account of, he, in the middle of the sermon, the bombing comes over, the sh church starts shaking, everybody hides when it stops the bombing. He just stands up and dusts, literally dusts the, the pulpit and keeps on preaching the same spot he had finished. So in, in his book, uh, spiritual, uh, spiritual Depression, he gives us this definition of fasting. He says that fasting is absence from, in, from anything that is legitimate in and of itself, for some special spiritual purpose. So you can see that in this definition, we could be fasting from food, but it could also include sports, TV, um, smartphone, you name it, as long as it is something good that you are, you're giving up. You, know, you can't fast from sin. The, the, the word fasting, from the, the expression is not used for sin. You're, you have to be giving up something good. A narrower definition is this, that fasting is voluntary abstinence from physical nourishment, food or drink, for special spiritual purposes. And it's really this is the one that we are emphasizing uh, in more in our study, though we have to keep that one in the back of our minds. And what I want us to start tonight by doing is actually, uh, and I'll show everything on the screen, go through the Old Testament and then the New Testament in what it mentions about fasting. And as we do that, just remember that just because it says something is not prescribing it to us. It may just be describing what was done. For example, one of the references about Ahab. We don't necessarily want Ahab as our standard for, of, of, of practice in most, in most cases. But I wanted to look at these different places that, uh, that the Bible speaks about fasting and then to the New Testament and try to conclude by uh, bringing it together and figuring out how we are supposed to do this. You see in the Old Testament that Israel fasted on the Day of Atonement. This is Leviticus 16.29. As you read it, you see the word fasting or fast is not present, but that expression, afflict your souls, literally is uh, to bend down in hunger. That's the idea of afflict. That's what the Hebrew behind it means. And that's really the only command to fast in the Old Testament. And some of you might say, what? I can point you to all kinds of different verses in the Old Testament about fasting, but they're not command. They're acknowledgments that fasting was taking place. This is an actual command that the people of God must, have, must do this on the Day of Atonement. After the exile, there were four other annual fasts that were observed on particular uh, months. It's never been commended, but the prophet Zechariah describes that that was happening after they returned from Babylon, that that's, that that's what they were doing. And the prophet describes it in a, um, in a um, um, positive 
uh, way. So in Zechariah 8, 19, the prophet says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth month, the fast of the, fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So here, after the exile, there was at least four times a year when they were fasting voluntarily. Sometimes we see individuals or the whole nation fasting in relation to a specific circumstance. For example, when the, uh, uh, David's baby was dying, he fasted. 2 Samuel 12.22 tells us that. Uh, we also find corporate fasting in the book of Judges. Uh, it says that the entire na- uh, nation fasted before the Lord. At least the entire immediate group that was there fasted before the Lord. At times, fasting gave expression to various heart attitudes. So in, in the Old Testament, sometimes fasts gave um, expression to grief. That's why David says he was fasting. He was fasting because he was grieved. Uh, also, uh, in the Old Testament, fasting gives the expression to, uh, to penitent, penitence. Um, Daniel says that he was fasting with sackcloth and ashes, which is an expression of, of penitence. Uh, and so his fasting was representing that. And some other times, fasting represents humility. Ezra says that they, he proclaimed a fast so that they might humble themselves before God. So the idea of humbling yourselves there in fasting. And fasting in the Old Testament is often directed towards securing the guidance and help of God. The same passage in Ezekiel, in Ezra, but towards the end of the verse, that they are fasting in order to seek from Him the right way for us and our little ones and our possessions. So you have here fasting in the Old Testament as a um, directed towards securing the guidance and help of the Lord. So this, these are representative passages in the Old Testament that show fasting that people are doing uh, there. Any questions about these in the Old Testament? All right, so we come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, we still see Jewish religious practice which involved fasting continued. Right? They have a transition period there when you're transition out of a, of a Jewish culture to a Gentile culture. So we find that Paul, oh, back. Paul was in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem so that they could get to, uh, well, sorry, on the way to Rome, they, they, they stopped and, and Paul said, we need to stop here because the, the fast is approaching or had just happened. And the fast is, there, is there a reference to the Day of Atonement. We saw that the Pharisees fasted twice a week. They fasted on Monday and Thursdays in the New Testament. Uh, we see that Anna, the prophetess, who prophesied over the infant Jesus, was known for her fasting. It says he served God with fastings and prayer night and day. We see that Jesus himself fasted. In Matthew 4, we see he's fasting for 40 days there. And a couple weeks ago, we saw that Jesus, though he didn't command his disciples to fast, he assumed that his disciples were going to fast. When he says, moreover, when you fast, it doesn't say if you fast, when you fast. So there's an assumption on Jesus' part. Also in the book of Acts, we see that leaders of the church fasted when choosing missionaries and when electing elders. In um, both in Acts 13, where they are setting apart 
Barnabas and Saul to go on the first missionary journey. In preparation for that, they fast. And then in Acts 14, they fast as they are appointing and electing elders in each congregation. And then Paul himself several times, or at least twice, refers to his fastings in 2 Corinthians 6 and 11 as part of his sufferings. So you can see that we find that fasting throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament um, as something that the people of God did. That, that was a part of their worship to God. Any questions on that? There, there are at least four components to fasting. The, um, how much is given up, the, so the degree of abstinence. Uh, the number of participants, how many people are involved. Uh, the length, how much time. And the frequency, how often you fast. Now, the degree of abstinence, uh, the first one, we, we can abstain from food and drink at various degrees. In the Bible, we have people having what we call normal fasts, avoiding uh, of all food and drink. We have Daniel doing that in Daniel 9. We have Esther doing that in Esther 4. We have uh, Ezekiel mentioning that in Ezekiel 10. We have Paul doing that in Acts chapter 9, verses 8 and 9, after he converts and is waiting for Ananias to come there. But there's also, when you talk about the degree of absence, there's also partial fasts. Can you think of an example of a partial fast? which is just a limitation of diet, but not abstinence from all food? I can't see your mouth, Taylor, it's because... Well, trying to... Leaven, when they don't have leaven. Okay. But that's a prescribed by the law sort of thing, right? That's the one I have in mind. Who said that? It was Hannah. In the, I think, yeah, it came from the back. Uh, the Hannah, yes. Daniel's the one I was thinking about where he, he asked, can I just have vegetables and not eat of the food that, that they were bringing to him, and, and so on. And he does that for religious reasons, he says. That, so, uh, so, degree, either all food and drink, or some food and drink. So, How many people, well, in the Bible we talk about private fasts. For example, when Jesus, uh, in Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about when you fast, he's talking about private fasts. There, uh, uh, small group fasts, we have that, the elders in Antioch setting, up, uh, setting aside the, 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 the Paul and Saul and Barnabas to go. We have, we have examples of congregational fasts, a fast that can, can, that's conducted by the entire congregation of God's people. That's what Esther 4.16 speaks about. And Nehemiah 9.1 describes a fast that the, by the entire nation of Israel. Joel 2.15 and 16 also gives us an example of that. So, individual Small group, entire congregations, entire nations are described as, as fasting there. Length of fast, the, the Bible doesn't give any commands about length. It, no, the Bible includes fasts that cover part of a day. See that in Judges 20. One day in Jeremiah 36. Three days in Ezekiel 4 and Acts 9. Seven days in 1 Samuel 31. 21 days in Daniel 10. And then the super, what I'm calling the supernatural fast of 40 days. There, there are two people clearly, and one implicitly that fasted for 40 days. One is Jesus. What are the other two? The other two was the same place. Moses, one of them. 
And the other one's the same, they're geographically in the same place, but hundreds of years apart. Elijah, is, 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 the text implicitly draws that correlation between Elijah and, and Moses and the fasting, and at the end, God feeding um, Elijah there, too, in, in 1 Kings there. Um, and the Bible also records many fasts without mentioning their length. So the Bible is not specific. Uh, it's pretty clear that the 40-day ones are fairly supernatural. Let's not try those. If you try your own, it's on your own, I'm not telling you to do it. So, um, but it doesn't prescribe any length. And then it talks about the frequency of fasts. Now, sometimes it talks about regular fasts, fasts that happened on a repetitive schedule, you know, like the Day of Atonement, like the Pharisees in uh, Luke 18, uh, fasting twice a day. It also talks about occasional fasts that occur whenever it was needed. Uh, and this is really the most of the time in the scriptures. That's, that's the, uh, the kind of fast that's happening, this, the, the occasional one when it was needed. And then there's one example of continuous fasting. There's one person that uh, just fasted his whole life. John the Baptist, yes. Remember, he, he lived on a diet of locust and honey. Yes. These ways of describing fasts are largely independent from each other. That You, you can specif- specify one characteristic without contra- constraining the others. That is, uh, I don't think you have to combine all of them, say, oh, fasting is all these things. It, it depends on the situation that you are in. Any questions before we continue? Yes? The, the fast that Paul was doing in Acts, what was that for? Was that for the Passover? Or was that for no, the Acts 9 one? When he was converted? Well, he was just was knocked down to the ground by Jesus. He is blind. His whole life has proven to be, you know, a lie, as it were. He just realized that, that what he was doing, thinking that he was doing for the Lord, was actually against God. So I think there's a lot of repenting happening there. There's a lot of soul-searching and, and, and seeking the Lord in those three days. So could you assume that if you're facing sin and, and repenting, that that's also a good time to fast? Or is that just something he did? Yes, but let's, let's get there in a little bit. Okay? Because my next question is, should Christians fast? Right, that's kind of the, what we're trying to figure out here. But before we answer this question, I wanted to repeat some things I said last week, because this is important. Food is always spoken as a good gift from God. Paul makes that point in 1 Timothy 4, and he actually says that the heretics are the ones that forbid you from eating. Okay? Food is part of God's good creation. Now, Paul is eager to warn against a kind of asceticism or beating out of the body that exalts fasting in such a way that the goodness of God in the gift of food is overlooked or distorted. So we have to keep that, that, that in mind. Christian Fasting to be is not asceticism. It's not this just constantly uh, being up the body. Now, Paul warns against that kind of severe lifestyle, saying that it is a it dishonors Christ by re- rejecting the sufficiency of his personal work. Because when you're doing that, you're actually trying to atone for your own sins. And and Paul says, beware of those who say, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. 
as a means to atone for your own um, sins there. Uh, John Piper uh, helped is Sorry, I saw it was up here, but John Piper is helpful. He says this, this is, this is a strong warning against any simplistic view of fasting that think, thinks it will automatically do a person's spiritual good. It's not that simple. Severe treatment of the body may only feed a person's flesh with more self-reliance. And that's something you have to keep in mind. Just fasting is not necessarily a spiritual exercise. And it may just feed the flesh instead of help you grow in the Lord. Paul regards eating or not eating as a matter that is non-essential in itself, but which gains value insofar as it expresses love and contentment to God, or lack of love and discontentment uh, to Him. So we, we have to be careful what is it that we're doing when we are, we are fasting. Now, fasting is not commended under the New Covenant, and yet, it seems clear in the scriptures that Jesus assumed that his followers would fast. Because he says, when you fast, you, an, you anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to man to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret reward you openly. See, in saying this, Christ gives us a negative command, a positive command, and the promise says, don't look somber like you're suffering when you're fasting. No positive. No one should be able to tell that you're fasting by your appearance. Like the only observer is God. And it's a promise. If you do that, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And notice also that Jesus gives no specific command about when, how often, or how long we should fast. So fasting is not to be a legalistic routine. It is a privilege and an opportunity to seek God's grace. Now, we shouldn't neglect it, but decisions regarding the specific characteristics of our fast are to be um, spirit-led, are to be something that uh, we examine before the Lord as, his help, as He helps us understand God's Word and He applies those truths to our hearts in particular situations, uh, circumstances. Um, I'm going to skip a little bit here. What are some reasons to fast? That's where Jerry was getting to. Christian fasting has a spiritual purpose, a purpose that is closely aligned to our relationship with Christ. Remember when we saw um, uh, Matthew 9 last time that that the, the, the followers of Jesus don't fast till the bridegroom is gone. And now that he's gone, now we fast, but we fast because he came and because we're looking for his presence with us in the future. Though he is with us in a spiritual sense, he's going to be with us in a physical sense in the future, and we hunger for that, and that's why we fast. So that's that, that the Christian fasting is aligned with that. Because if, if uh, fasting is done for a worldly purpose, and when I mean world, I don't mean bad purpose, just not uh, unto God, uh, you know, things like weight, you're fasting because you want to lose weight. That's, that's okay. It's not spiritual f- fasting. 
or they're fasting because they're going to have surgery and you can't eat before you have your surgery, or because you're having some, uh, you're doing some training, or because you're saving money. You know, just don't want to eat to not spend money. Uh, those are fine, but they're not Christian fast. Make sense? So we have to be clear that Christian fasting has a particular reason and a particular purpose. And the Bible gives, I think, ten different reasons for a Christian to fast, one who follows Jesus Christ to fast. We're to fast to strengthen prayer. Ezekiel tells us that, that the uh, not Ezekiel, Ezra says he called the fast so that we could seek the Lord in prayer. Um, fasting is not a kind of spiritual hunger strike that compels God to, our, to do our bidding. Fasting does not change God's hearing, it changes our praying. So we fast to strengthen our praying. We fast so that we can seek God's guidance. Uh, we, we're trying to figure out things out, and, and uh, we need the Lord's help. And we fast to seek His um, guidance. That's what the, the, the leadership in Antioch did when trying to figure out what missionaries they should send to the field. They fasted to look for God's, uh, God's guidance. Uh, a Christian fasts to seek deliverance or protection. We see that in Second Chronicles 20, where Jehoshaphat was seeking deliverance from the Assyrians, and he prayed, uh, he declared a fast and prayed, looking for protection. Uh, another reason is that fast expresses grief, so we, we, we fast to express grief. Uh, David did that uh, with his son. We fast to express repentance and a return to trusting in God. It's not to cause it, but to express it. We fast to humble ourselves before God. We see that often in the scriptures. We fast to express concern for the work of God. Daniel did that in Daniel chapter 9, when he's about to pray. He fasts in order to show concern for what God was doing among his people and restoring them back to the land. Isaiah 58, which we kind of looked at last week, says that we fast in order to minister to the needs of others. The, the, the spiritual disciplines as a whole, and fasting in particular, are not only for our sake, but for the sake of others too. If we give up some meals by fasting, we can use that time and money to minister to others. It's one way to take the eyes off of us and our needs and put on other people as well. We fast to overcome temptation and dedicate ourselves to God. Fasting is a good exercise in self-discipline. Refraining from eating food can strengthen our ability to refrain from sin when we are tempted. And tense, we fast to express love and worship to God. Uh, we, we, are, we fast because we are hungrier for God than we are for food. We love Him and we want Him. And uh, that's why we, we fast. So fast, fasting tests where our heart is. It helps us focus on God and feast on Him and His Word more fully. It communicates that our hearts are with God and not with this world. So, challenge. Take some time this week 
next few days, next 10 days, as you're driving to Omaha. So that's why Jim said, Tilly, we're fasting. That's why we're not stopping. <laughs> that's what every guy says when you get out. <laughs> no, take some time this week to consider the reasons for fasting we just went through. Maybe you need God's guidance on an important matter. Maybe your prayer life has been dulled by worldly concerns. Maybe you struggle with the sin of gluttony. And fasting may help you with that, help us with that. But whatever the issue is, fasting may well be the means that God is going to use to give you grace in helping you with your need and in pointing you towards the sufficiency of God. So that's the challenge. For the next few days, consider if fasting should not be part of your spiritual discipline. But with, your, with the challenge, I want to say this. If you struggle with eating issues, then I encourage you not to fast. Do not fast. Instead, I encourage you to eat. I encourage you to eat regular meals with the same attitude as one who would fast. Because when you're fast, you're not giving up anything. If you're struggling with eating issues, if you're fast, you're not giving up anything. But if you're eating, then you're giving up control of yourself. And you can eat then with the same attitude as you would if you were fasting there. But take the time this week. Consider what the Lord says about fasting and all these reasons. And can they be helpful to you as you seek to grow in Him? Any questions? I skipped thinking that we're not going to have time, but now we, we can share this cookie <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you're good to us. We thank you for your word that instructs us on how to grow closer to you. We pray that we would consider this, uh, this subject of fasting and that we would be able to apply to our lives in a way that drives us to you. Help us to grow in you in everything we do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.